We have a special guest speaker with us today. His name is Clem Ferris. Uh, Clem is with Grace Churches International, GCI. Uh, our church, as you know, supports GCI, and we support Clem. Clem is a prophet uh, to GCI, and I could safely say to the nations. Yeah, few nations. Um, he's just uh, gotten back a little while ago from Ukraine, and before that, Belgium in the Netherlands, and uh, he'll be traveling again. Um, but we are blessed. Clem has already ministered to us. Our uh, leadership group has been blessed by Clem, and of course, hearing God's voice class. Uh, you met with him yesterday, and you know uh, Clem's ministry is a blessing to all. Uh, Clem is a great Bible teacher. He just loves teaching, and he is infectious. So we are thankful to have Brother Clem here. Why don't you come on up, Clem? Let's give God a hand for Clem. How about now? There we are. Praise the Lord. It's good to see you this morning. It's good to be in beautiful Lynchburg. It's always beautiful here. I don't know how you do it, but in the fall it's beautiful, in the spring it's beautiful. It's hot in the summer like North Carolina, but that's okay. I am on the uh, sick and recovering pastor's tour this month. I was down with Jerry Daly last weekend because he was sick. (laughs) He called me Friday. And so I had just gotten back from a three-week trip to Europe, but... I had last weekend off, and uh, I couldn't resist but go down to Columbia, South Carolina and preach for Jerry, who was recovering, and now here for Willie, so this is really, maybe I'll have a future in this, I don't know. Now, is that, is that more anointed than this? What do you think? Should I go over this one? I do like that side, too, but I'll, we'll go in the middle. How's that? That's better. We're in the middle. So, good to see Willie up and going. I mean, I talked to him Monday, and he's like, hello. It's like. Is this Willie? So keep praying for him. And uh, this is great. You guys are in a wonderful time as a church. And uh, as John said, I appreciate, you know, you guys give me some monthly support. And uh, there's several churches that do that. It enables me to go to the nations and travel. It enables me to go to some small churches that really can't afford to have me in. And uh, you partner with me. I just, you need to know that. So when I go, you go with me. If you ever want to keep up with me, um, I Twitter now. Anybody, anybody, anybody tweeting out here? Hello. All the tweeters out are twittering. So you can follow me on Twitter. And um, I also have a website, just clemferris.com. And my itinerary is on there. I put a monthly newsletter on there so you can keep up a little bit with what I'm doing. Two weeks from today, I'll be leaving for Vietnam and ministering to three different uh, groups in the underground church there, uh, teaching on the prophetic and prophesying to leaders within the underground church. The underground church in Vietnam is like a shadow of... The underground church in China, but you know, there's, there's, uh, I can't remember how many, 70 million people in Vietnam. It's a tiny country, uh, and God is really moving there. And so there's a lot of stuff going on along the borders of China, and Vietnam is one of those countries that's going to, it's already exploding. And the same kind of cell ministry and small group, and uh, there's a revival breaking out in Vietnam. And so, isn't that great? How God's redeeming what was a disaster area 30 years ago. And there was war and problems and communism and just all kinds of hellacious things going on. And God is redeeming it. So keep that in prayer if you would. I'll be going over there with a pastor from California who's part of another network. And uh, then I'll be ministering in California when I get back. So May is going to be jumping. Hallelujah. Well, I went out and saw your fire sale yesterday at your property. And I was thinking, Lord, 
this, there's something to this. This is just not just a freak accident. I just told John this morning, I said, I think that was just a sign that when you guys hit that property, there's going to be fire. Amen? Get ready. It's like, be careful. Be careful. The fire of God is going to be on that property. I don't think it's going to burn your new building, but it's just kind of, let's, let's, out with the old and in with the new, right? That's kind of where I'm going this morning. Um, we're going to get into the book of Joshua. I'm going to talk about the prophetic process and possessing your inheritance. I think you're, you're on a prophetic walk right now. You as a church are walking and you don't know where you're walking. I mean, you know you're going to this, you're in this building, then you're in this building, and you've got property and going to build, but you're kind of like on a spiritual treadmill almost, kind of like we're walking, but we don't know where we're going yet. But the idea is you've got to keep walking with God. It's a prophetic walk. When we walk with God, it's a prophetic walk. We're walking with an invisible God. Can't see Him, but He's there. It's exciting. We're mortals in this planet that He created, and He rules and reigns the universe far above it, and yet He's right here with us. Is that amazing? Just turn to someone and say, that blows my mind. Just tell them, you, that blows my mind. God is the most mind-blowing entity that ever, you know, he's just, this book should blow your mind. It should confuse you. It should agitate you. It should trouble you. It will discern you. It will grab hold of you. It will shake you. It will mess you up. It's good. We need our brains kind of scrambled around every now and then. Just, that was so good what John said this morning about, you know, who we are. We're a new, new nature or a new creation. And so we have the ability to walk with this God. And so uh, turn to the book of Joshua if you have your Bibles this morning. I want to talk about some of this. And see, the book of Joshua starts out with a profound statement of there is a shifting of eras for the people of Israel. Something was shifting. Something was changing in who they were going to become. They'd come out of bondage in Egypt. They'd come out of confusion and slavery, and now they were being liberated. They were on a prophetic walk with God, and yet they had not yet arrived in their inheritance. They were not there yet. They were walking with God, and God declared through uh, Moses and through Joshua and other leaders where he was taking them. And it starts out in the book of Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, Joshua, and go. And I believe this is a time that represents the passing of one era and the stepping into a new one. I think that's where you are as a church. You're passing out of one era where you were Cornerstone Church, Lynchburg, in this era, and this part of the community. Now God's shifting things again. God just loves to shift and move and go. He's a going God. That's what he told Joshua over and over. Arise and go. They had waited almost 500 years. He said, now's the time. You know, God has a lot more patience than we do. How many figured that out, right? <laughs> 500 years, 40 years wandering in the wilderness. So the wilderness wandering is over. I believe your wilderness wandering is just about over. I mean, I saw your land yesterday. It's like there's something for you to possess, and it's not just a piece of property on a certain road and build a building. That's not what we're talking about. That's part of your process. But the real possession is the saints yet to come into the kingdom in this city and in, and in this, the area that God's called you to reach. That's your true, true possession is the souls that God is going to use you and partner with you and power share with you to extend His kingdom right here. And so that's what He's doing with Israel at this time too. Let's break down the book of Joshua real quickly for those that maybe want to get a little better understanding of where I'm going with it. We start out, the first six chapters is the people of God on a prophetic walk. They're walking with God. They're walking to claim their inheritance. It was a process, a walk, a journey, walking to claim. And so in chapter 1, 
Verse 2, he says, Moses, my sermon is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I'm giving to them, to the people of Israel. Watch this, verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given it to you, just as I promised to Moses. Notice the emphasis on going. Arise, go. Everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I'll give it to you. I've already given it to you. But you've got to go possess it. You know, there's so many things God's already given to us. But we have to arise and we have to go and we have to possess it. God put that in our nature too. The desire to possess. But if you don't know you have something to possess, you're not going to want to arise. You're not going to want to go. You'd be more content just sitting around watching other people do it. God says everybody's got to go. You and the people. Sometimes we're really happy when leaders rise and go so we can just sit and watch. Not the case here. He said, Joshua, you rise, you go over this Jordan, you and all the people. We all got to go together. So they're entering to claim their inheritance in these first six chapters. They have to cross this impossible raging river. They have to take an entire city to get to where God wants them to go. There was impossibilities they had to face right away, but it's all part of the prophetic walk. The second section of the book we break down to chapter 7 and 7 through 12 would be where they're now in the land, but now they got to stand to fight. You know, it's one thing to go in and possess something. Then once you get it, the devil wants to take it away. That's true. Do you think the enemy's just going to go, oh, I'm sorry, did you want this land? Oh, go right ahead. I'm sorry. You know, he is the one that's trespassing on what God says we can have, not us, not the other way around. How dare he accuse us of trespassing on what he has? But yet, that's the mentality of a lot of people. Well, we're just humble. We just don't deserve it. You know, we grovel sometimes and saying, wait a minute, God said that's ours. We're going to go possess it. And so that was the attitude the children of Israel had to have. Go and possess. And when you get there, you're going to have to fight for it. They had to overcome seven nations, seven different nations they had to take down. They had to fight them. So they stood to fight. They had to settle their inheritance. Here's a tremendous picture of what God did in that process over in chapter 10, in this particular section, 7 through 12. In chapter 10, there's an amazing act that God had Joshua do to show them their authority and what they would have to do to possess and fight. Over in chapter 10, there's these five kings that come out to attack. There's five authorities that come after them. They just didn't lay down and say, oh, sorry, I didn't realize that God gave this to you. We'll just get out of your way. They fought them. But they overcame these kings and they fought against them and they captured them and they put them in the cave. And then in verse 24 of Joshua 10, when they brought those kings out to Joshua, Joshua summoned all the men of Israel and said to the chiefs of the men of war who had gone with him, come near, watch this, put your feet on the necks of these kings. I love that. Put your feet on the necks of these kings. This is a prophetic walk, right? has to do with your feet, right? So he says, everywhere the sole of your foot treads, I'll give it to you. And when you come to the enemy, realize there is a place for your feet when you have, uh, uh, confront the enemy too. And you know what that place is? Not turning and running the other direction, taking them down and putting your foot right on the neck of the enemy. That is a symbolic act of we win, you lose. It's a symbolic act of a warrior conquering his enemy because they put the foot on the neck and then they take off the head. It's kind of gory, but I mean, it, it preaches well. 
That's what they did. They subdued the kings, okay? So there's some kings, some authorities that you'll have to subdue. You'll have to remember, God wants you to position them under your feet. That's part of your prophetic walk. And then the last section of the book, chapter 13 to 24, they're now they're in. They have, they have, they have walked to claim the inheritance. They have stood to fight for their inheritance. And now they can actually sit. They can possess their inheritance. The battles are over. They have possessed the inheritance. In seven years, they overcame seven nations. It's an amazing story. But in this, to set this whole thing up, we go back to chapter one where God sets conditions of obedience before Joshua and the children of Israel in order to begin this prophetic walk. So I think we need to heed what God says are his conditions of obedience to have a successful prophetic walk with him, to walk in such a way that you possess your inheritance. The first thing that he did in moving down in chapter 1, we look at verse 7. He says, look, Joshua, only be strong and very courageous. Now, why did he say that? Because he was going to be fearful and weak. You know, in a prophetic walk with God, it's very easy to fall in, as John was saying, into that old nature. It's very easy to let fear rise. And it's very easy to suddenly get in touch with all your weaknesses. That's part of our prophetic walk. That's why God had to admonish Joshua over and over, and he admonishes us. Only be strong and very courageous in this. And you're going to draw that from God. You draw your strength from God in His Word. You draw your courage from God. He gives you courage, and He says, being careful now to... Do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Being careful to do, or in the Hebrew, really, it's the word observe. Being careful to observe according to all that the law, or according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. What's the issue about being careful to observe? This idea of observing literally is a picture word in the Hebrew language. It literally means to hedge with thorns. Be careful to hedge with thorns, okay, your way. When we're in a prophetic walk with God, we have to follow the law of God, the Word of God. The Word of God becomes a hedge to our path. It hedges us in. You know, a hedge does two things. It keeps things in and it keeps things out. And the hedges in those days were prickly and they, were, they, were, they had thorns on them. So they would hedge things to keep wild beasts out from attacking flocks and all those things. But it also kept things in. You know, the Word of God will hedge your way in a prophetic walk. And if you go a little too far to the left, we'll see in a minute, too far to the right, you're going to hit the hedge. It's going to go, ouch, the Word of God will prick you. What did, what did Jesus say to Paul on the road to Damascus? Paul, it's hard to kick against the pricks, isn't it? You know, there's a time you'll encounter God on your prophetic walk, and it won't always be comfy, cozy, squeezy, easy. It might be a little prickly, ouch, I just encountered God on my prophetic walk. I think I'm a little too far to the left, maybe a little too far to the right. Hedge your way with the Word of God. God will hedge your way, keep the enemy out, keep you on track. So he said, be careful to observe what? According to the law that Moses gave. A second thing, this is the turning left and right. He finishes off. Don't turn from it to the right hand or the left hand that you can have good success wherever you go. Now, some people want to just shut down right there and say, I'm going to let everybody else go first and then I'm going to watch and see if anybody else has trouble, <laughs> you know. He says, no, you've got to keep going. But he says, here's the deal. Don't turn to the left and don't turn to the right. Why? Because in a prophetic walk, it's very easy to get distracted. When we're walking prophetically, you don't have the benchmarks. You don't have the things that you're comfortable with. 
you guys have never built a building before. You've never possessed this particular uh, challenge. So you're not really sure. And it might be easy to get distracted. And I'll tell you what, the enemy will come and try to distract you. I've just heard a few of the wonderful distractions that, you know, the city fathers are uh, helping you with. You know, it's just like, and then you jump through this hoop, and then you jump through this hoop, and then you turn left, and then you turn right, and then we want you to turn left. And it's kind of like, stop! You know, <laughs> God... <laughs> They're driving us crazy. See, distractions will come. Just don't turn to the left and don't turn to the right. Stay steady on your course. Thirdly, in verse 8, and this is kind of the key of the whole book of Joshua. The only way you make a successful prophetic walk is to do this condition of obedience that God required of Joshua and all his people. He said, here's the key, Joshua. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth. It can't. That's not even an option. The word has to be coming out of your mouth the whole time. This book of the law will not depart out of your mouth, but you shall meditate in day and night and 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 then day and night. How long? Day and night. Well, how many days and nights? All of them. Do you know when you have to meditate the word of God daily? You should. I know we don't, but we should. There's at least, you know, if you have trouble with that, pick one word and try it. So I just have a trouble meditating scripture. Why don't you try one word? And then go to two. I think you can do that. We can. We can actually do that. We, we, need, we just need to work on these things. And this was something God said to Joshua. You, you cannot let my word depart out of your mouth. But you've got to meditate in there day and night. Why? Because that's how you observe to do according to all that's written in it. That's how you see in a prophetic walk. A prophetic walk is a walk of blindness unless you can see with God's spiritual eyes. So he says, here's the condition. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. You shall meditate in it day and night so that you can be careful to do according to all that's written in there. And then you'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. See, Christians always want success secrets, secrets to successful this and that and how to have prosperity. We, we love those two words, but they're at the end of the verse, not at the beginning of the verse. They are the results of meeting the conditions of the earlier part of Joshua 1.8. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth but you shall meditate in day and night and day and night that you can observe to do according to all that's written in there and then you'll make your way prosperous. By the way, that doesn't necessarily just mean you'll have money. The word prosper literally means to have a good journey. But most of the time, unless you have a credit card, you'll need money for your journey, right? So God's not foolish about it. The emphasis isn't money, but it's something that has to be provided along the way. That helps have a good journey and you'll make your way prosperous and have success. That was his promise. That was a condition of obedience. And finally, he finishes off saying, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. He's with you. And so you're going to have to stand on his promises as you go. A lot of people are content to just sit on the premises. God says, no, stand on the promises. Stand and go. Stand on my promises and go. These are conditions that God gave clearly to Joshua and the children of Israel before they started their prophetic walk. Walking to claim your inheritance is part of the Christian walk that we're in right now. There's a New Testament commentary on it. You say, oh, that's Old Testament story. Yeah, it's good. Wait a minute. It was so key that it, was, it made it all the way to the New Testament. Go to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7 and 8 for just a minute. I don't have that on PowerPoint, but... Here's the New Testament commentary on the same idea. Chapter 3 of Hebrews, verse 7 and 8. Here's the rite of Hebrews reminding us, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion 
on the day of testing in the wilderness. Ah, he made a reference. Now, there's some key words here. Today, if you hear his voice, the Holy Spirit is speaking. He says, look, the same voice that activated the children of Israel into a prophetic walk is still activating the saints of God today. It's called the Holy Spirit. He is the actor. You know, how many know Christianity is a voice activated system? Yes, the voice of God activates us into action. And he says, the Holy Spirit is speaking today. That's a key word. He's still speaking today. Say today. Isn't that good to know? We're reading in the ancient book of Joshua and the Holy Spirit's still speaking today. Today, if what? You'll hear his voice. There's another condition. That was the warning. If you'll hear his voice, what? And not harden your heart as they did in the wilderness. See, there's always the tendency, there's the ability we have to harden our heart and not listen to what God's saying. That's why you've got to have trusted leaders. You've got to have elders. You've got to have spiritual uh, fortification in your, in your membership and in, in the body so that we can move together because there will always be factions of doubt and unbelief and impossibilities and always the opportunity to mumble and grumble your way on a prophetic walk. Believe me, the children of Israel were experts at it. So, he says, don't make the same mistakes. Hear him if you'll hear his voice. What does that mean? That means you've got to be prophetic people. See, it's not just the job of a prophet to hear from God and tell you what God's saying. Or a pastor or any other fivefold ministers. Our job is to equip you to hear what God's saying. So you can say, that's right, I bear witness. God's saying the same thing to me. We're all on track together. We've got to be prophetic people. People that hear the voice of God. Definition? People that eagerly want to hear the voice of God and who will do... <laughs> that's the catch, isn't it? Who will do... What he tells them to do, regardless of impossibilities, because typically when God speaks, he laces it with concepts out of heaven that haven't made it to earth yet, and they look impossible to do. They don't compute. They don't fit with our reasoning. They just like, they, they go, I wouldn't do it that way, or that doesn't make sense to me. And that's why God has to speak out of another dimension. That's why he lives in another dimension, and you don't yet. And you're in the mortal earth and he's in the immortal heaven and there's a huge disconnect. And the only way you close the gap is what he says. The interface between heaven and earth is the prophetic dimension. That's where God speaks and interfaces with mortal man to bring his plan to earth. I mean, we pray the prayer, don't we? Thy will be done where? On earth as it is in heaven. And then we check out, we unplug and say, okay, God, do it. He's going, no, I'm going to do it with you, through you. I'm, I've, you know, how many know God's into power sharing? God could have done it all. We were sh- I was just sharing with, the, I think, the prophetic group yesterday of a recent testimony where an entire village in a Muslim nation had a dream, uh, had a visitation of Christ in, in their dreams, and they all, the whole village came to Christ. And you kind of go, do it again, Lord, do it again. And he's going, I do that occasionally, but I'm sovereign. I call, I elect, I save, but I have chosen to share my power with you. Do you know that's actually the ethics of heaven demand that God share his power? Ethically, God holding all the power unto himself would not fit in his character and nature. It's God's character and nature to share his power with all. That's what he did. He empowered Christ. Christ came and he says, all authority I give to who? You. Now you, you get, you get to share power with him. And that's the beauty of a prophetic walk. God shares his power, his ability, his strategy, his wisdom with us. And we get to carry it out. So we have to be a prophetic people. 
Moses was dead. A new era was coming. He says, don't, don't make the same mistakes. God's speaking afresh. Will you hear my voice? It's a new generation. Will you meet the challenge? Will you go and do what I say? God wants us to be a going, moving people. Everywhere the sole of your foot will tread, I'll give it to you. So three things about a prophetic walk. Number one is this. The process by which God moves the willing people forward is this word of God. That is a prophetic walk. That's the process by which God moves us forward. The emphasis is on one powerful word. It's the word go. Chapter 1, verse 2. There it is. Arise and go. Verse 7. Everywhere you go. Everywhere. Everywhere you go, you'll have good success. Verse 9. There it is again. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's in chapter 3. It's in chapter 3, verse 3 and 4. Wherever you go, 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 God says. God is really into going. I mean, two-thirds of God's name is go. Seriously, God says, I want you to go. Be like me. Prophetic people move when God says go. The danger is to discuss it, form a committee, have a class, and do a Bible study on it. The danger is we just get inward instead of outward. Sometimes you're worse off if you hear God's prophetic voice and don't obey at all. See, there's a divine gap and disconnect often with hearing the voice of God and obeying. That's the hard part, really. But you know, in the Hebrew language, there's one Hebrew word that is translated many times hear, hear the voice of God, or the Lord, you know, where it says, the Lord says, hear, O Israel. It's the Hebrew word, shama. But it's also translated obey. Same word, shama, is the word for obey. You know what that means? In the mind of God, that he put in, that he used the Hebrew language to write the Old Testament, and in his mind, there is no disconnect between hearing God and obeying Him. How many are parents? You know what I'm talking about. You, you, you've experienced the disconnect. I'd like you to clean your room. I'll be up to check it in a half an hour. Dad, thank you for that word. Thank you. That just, I needed that word. I, I love it when you speak. In fact, give me more words. I'd like more words. Just go clean your room and then I'll be up. Dad, thank you. I, you know, right now I'm just in a prayer mode. I'm just going to go pray about that. I hear your word and I love it. In fact, I'm going to go call some of my friends and see if they bear witness to that word. But I love your word, Lord. Lord, Dad. Is there, parent, possibly a slight connection when you speak to your children? Is there inside of you a little bit of expectation that they're supposed to then obey and carry out what it was you told them? Sometimes, children don't listen to this, but sometimes we have the audacity to actually expect you to do what we ask you to do, not just hear it only. And we laugh about that, but the truth of it is that's how we treat God. We love to hear the Word of God. We love to, hear, we love to get a personal prophecy. We love, we love it when God speaks. Hear, O Israel. But then, do, O Israel, is expected as well. So, God's looking for obedience. The second thing about a prophetic walk, this is where it gets touchy. But the prophetic walk is always marked by a prophetic crisis that results in vital consequences that can affect 
where God wants to take you and can affect your, your whole process of possessing your inheritance. There's always a crisis of faith that comes. You say, that's not fair. No, that's just the way God chooses to do things. Why do we need that? Because, see, every time, every decision to follow the word of the Lord is always followed by a prophetic crisis. I can tell you hundreds of stories of prophetic testimonies of people receiving a prophetic word and then literally the next month is like hell on earth. <laughs> it's just like the promises come, the potential's released, the call is, is set, God's direction is declared, and then they go storming out of the church going, yeah, I can do this, God's with me, yeah, and then all hell breaks loose. And you go, what is that? That's God testing you. That's God purifying you. That's God challenging you. Say, well, whose idea was this anyway? <laughs> See, God always initiates a prophetic walk. God is the initiator. You know, there's a lot of things we think we're initiating, but it's God. And then there's a lot of things we'd rather not initiate, and God wants to. So God initiates, and what he does is he... Here, let me just follow this. This is what we call the prophetic cycle. When God opens his mouth and speaks something, it sets in motion what we call a prophetic cycle of completion. And the first thing that happens, when God speaks, there is a creation of faith. That's the first step. When God speaks, there is a creation of faith. Where do you get faith from? You get it from God. It's a gift. Ephesians 2, it's a gift. Okay? Faith is a gift from God. Then you get in Romans 10, and it says, Faith comes by hearing, not just anything, but hearing by the rhema word about Christ. The rhema. There's the logos and the rhema. The, the book is the logos. The rhema is the spoken now prophetic word of God. And that's where faith comes. God brings faith to you when he speaks. He creates faith. But then comes the next thing. Then there is, like I said, the compliance of faith. Are you going to do what God said? James 1.22 says, don't be just a hearer only, but you must be doers of the word. Why? 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 Except you what? Deceive yourself. See, there's a, that's such a deception, really, to think you can hear God speak and give you instruction and then sit back and not do what he said. That's, that's, you're deceived. So there's a compliance of faith. Will you do what God says? You know, the good part is you never really know how much faith God has given you until you step out and act on that word. It's one thing to say, I've got faith. It's another thing to experience it. You really only experience it once you step. It's, it's so exciting. It's powerful. I mean, the faith that God gave just the Royal Rangers to go out and do acts of kindness in the neighborhood, it's like God gave them the word to do it, and they stepped out and did it, and then the results came. And I can tell you, every one of those kids and these guys, their faith has got to be at a whole different level just because they acted. They did something. They complied. But then here's the thing. Then there's the crisis of faith. Whenever there's a crisis of the faith of the Word of God, it's because God is doing something in you. God is moving you internally toward your maturing process. And that's where a lot of people fall out. That's where a lot of people get discouraged. That's where a lot of people would experience what God warned Joshua not to have, weakness and fear. He said, only be strong and courageous. Why? He says, because Joshua, you will come to a place of crisis and you'll want to turn back. You won't want to go. You'll want to stop the prophetic walk. So when we come to crisis, let me just read Psalm 18, verse 30, that God tries his word. He always does. Psalm 18 and verse 30. The word of the Lord is tried. It's tested. What does that mean? It's an excellent picture in the Hebrew language because it means that uh, God takes his word 
And where it says he purifies it, let me, let me just read. There's several. There's Proverbs 30, verse 5 and 6, too, is another reference. But this one is Psalm 18, verse 30. It says this. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried or is proven to be true. God tries his word. God proves his word. Literally in the Hebrew, the word is purify. Say, wait a minute. How? God purifies his word? No, the word, see, becomes a purifier in you. God purifies through his word. How does he do it? He puts it in you. Then what does he do? See, the picture in the Hebrew is to put something in a smelting furnace and turn the heat up and change the composition of that element and all the impurities rise up and you scrape it off and you've got a much purer element. That's what a smelting furnace does. And so what God does, he's so sneaky, he comes and he puts his word in you and he says, okay, angels, turn up the heat and throw the word in. Oh, it's in him now. Oh, throw him in with it. God puts his word in you and then he puts you and the word in the fire, in the furnace, turns the heat up and watches all the junk come out of your life. See, that's why you go through, you know, you pray, you fast, you get a prophecy. You know, it's it's like, ah, it's like, I, I can do this. And then all of a sudden you walk right into the furnace and there you are. And all of a sudden, all this junk, bad attitudes, thoughts you had, you thought you'd conquered years ago. Ugly attitudes, all kinds of junk comes rising up. So where's that coming from? It's the word of the Lord trying you. It's God's word purifying you. Getting you, you know what? Better prepared to carry out his plan for your life. Bringing you through that process of maturity where we're all headed. Remember Joseph? Joseph got this wonderful prophecy. It's the dream prophecy of every teenager. Your brothers and your parents will bow down and worship you. And every teenager goes, I want that word. <laughs> yeah, we, we want that word, but we don't want to, we don't want to go through what Joseph went through. Because then he went what? He went through crisis after crisis. What was God doing? Purifying him and his motives so that by the time he got up to the place of prime minister, God had purified him so he could restore his entire family and have a major impact. You meant it for evil, God meant it for good, and have a powerful impact on the whole nation of Israel. Through one guy, God did that powerful thing. But talk about prophetic crisis. The word of the Lord tried him. So it's crisis time, because God starts right out and throws the crisis right in Joshua's face. He says, Joshua, arise and go over this Jordan. He goes, what do you mean this Jordan? Can't we have another area of the Jordan to go over? You see, it was flood time. Chapter 3, verse 15 said, now it's flood time and the Jordan was overflowing its banks. It was raging. A human couldn't possibly cross there. So if, a, you know, if it was us, we'd try to negotiate. Well, Lord, can't we just go down about a mile or maybe up a mile? He said, no, right here. Cross here. That's a crisis. It's impossible. I can't do it. See, God will bring you to a place and be ready. Be ready for this in the next year or two. You're building, building, you're going to be, you're possessing the land. And guess what? There's enemies, there's opposition, there's crisis. Because I guarantee a year from now, there'll be a greater purity in every one of you. Because you'll, you'll all be in the furnace together. It's, it's more fun when others are in there with you. So just stay together in the furnace. And just, you know, you can ask Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Jesus often shows up in furnaces, so it's good. He'll be with you. That's what he said. I am with you wherever you go. I am with you wherever you go. You stop, he's going to keep going. That's the point. So the last thing about this prophetic cycle is there is now the consequence of faith because God always wants to give you more faith. 
So you have the creation of faith, you have the compliance of faith, this crisis, and now, ah, the consequence of your faith when it's fulfilled. I love that. When it's fulfilled. Luke chapter 1, verse 20. Powerful. When God was dealing with Zechariah at the birth of John the Baptist. Luke chapter 1. The angel came and brought the word of the Lord. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 20, he said, Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words. Watch this. Which will be fulfilled in their time. My word will be fulfilled in its time. You know that every word that God brings has a prophetic time sequence of fulfillment built into it. Problem is God never tips us off. He holds all the cards. <laughs> he just, he's, he's waiting. And you know what? He's very patient. He's long suffering. That means he likes to see us suffer long. He's able to suffer long with us. He says, it will, he says, Zechariah, these words, my words, will be fulfilled. Right now, you're in unbelief. So I'm going to move in your life. I'm going to cause you not to speak because you're just speaking words of fear and uncertainty and doubt. So just be quiet and my word will be performed in its season. It will come to pass. And then you go through the process. There is a fulfillment in the mind of God. Why? So that you know God did it and not you. Zechariah finally realized, hey, this isn't me. It's all God. And that his name is exalted and not yours. Look what I did. It's all about look what God did. So we say, okay, Lord, bring it on. We're ready for the prophetic crisis. God is going to search Jerusalem, Zechariah said, with candles and punish those who are stagnant in their spirit. That's a scary verse to me. You know, it's easy to get stagnant. It's easy to stall. You ever try to push a stalled car? It's hard. It's hard. It takes the most effort and energy to get something that's stationary moving than it is to get something that's already got momentum. And if we have the, the stalling system in place and we're starting to stall out, God's going to come and he wants to deal with us. Now, now punish, get the right idea. When God punishes, it's always redemptive. It's always redemptive, okay? You know, why, actually, why, when we punish children, what are we really doing? We're trying to correct them. We're trying to, we're loving them. God's a better father and mother than we could ever be. He's a great parent. So when God says, I'm searching with candles for those that have become stagnant in their spirit, why is God going to punish them? Because he says, I want you to get up and get going again. Because then we can all move better together. So when people go into crisis, you band together and you, you stand there and say, come on, let's, let's do it together. Let's not let the book of the law depart out of our mouth. Because God's going to tell us to do something and it's going to be impossible. Amen? But here's the deal. Last thing for this morning. In every prophetic walk, there's prophetic moments in which an opportunity and challenge to move with God is accepted or it passes away in that season. Now, I got good news. God's not like the bus. You know, if you miss him, God will come back again. You know, you miss the bus and go, hey, oh no, what am I going to do? I just missed the bus. But, you know, we do, we miss God, so to speak. That's the way we determine it. Now, I'm a sovereignist, so... God always comes back around for another trip, okay? Because if God really wants you to do something, He will hound you. He will disturb you. He will, He was like, leave me alone, will you? It's like, no. I want this. And I'm God. I had a, 
lady in my church in, in Florida when I was pastoring there, um, and great gal, she and her husband, they were on our eldership team, and great folks, and she was a very matter-of-fact type woman, and they had small, small four, four small kids, and were moving in the middle of July in Florida. Just stop, think of the torture factor there alone. They were moving. So they had all their stuff in storage, their house was being finished, and she was making, had to make a trip to the storage unit to get some stuff, and it was just one of those days. She had four young kids, and they were just, you know, having a good time in the back of the car, and she finally got to the storage unit, she was a little flustered, and it was hot, and she got out, and she could not get that lock on the storage unit to open, and she fooled with it, and she tried, and she just, it wouldn't work, and she, it's hot, and the kids are fighting in the back, and she, she just stopped for a minute, and she looked up, and she said, God, would you leave me alone for five minutes? <laughs> I mean, she actually realized she was going through a test. She realized, I'm going through a test here, and it's like, God, just leave me alone. Sometimes that's a secret prayer we pray. God, just leave me alone for five minutes. But he loves us too much. He wants to bring a moment where he becomes so big and so God that we don't doubt in those arenas anymore. And every church, there's prophetic moments. In the life of local churches, there's prophetic moments. And destiny hinges on that moment. Destiny hinges the future. The natural mind comes into a crisis and comes into a challenge. And the natural mind says, we better not, we can't, and here's the reasons why. Aren't you glad you have leaders that have faith? Come on. You've got great leaders, and they have faith. They're men and women of faith. That's when you're hearing, you're hearing with that natural mind, as John was talking about, maybe that unredeemed part of your Christian mind. You know, the Christian mind has to be renewed and redeemed constantly. Renewal of the mind, Romans 12. And so this is part of God's mind renewal program. When your mind's going, we better not. I don't think we can. We can't afford it. And yet something inside, faith is saying, oh, yes, you can. This is God's opportunity. Take it or you'll miss it. You ever feel that confliction sometimes? That's where faith is trying to get the upper hand, all right? That's where you don't let the book of the law depart out of your mouth at that moment. That's your prophetic moment. When you've got to go back to the conditions of obedience, don't get distracted. Don't turn left. Don't turn right. Don't let the book depart out of your mouth. Meditate right now. <laughs> then you'll make your way prosperous and have good success. That's what Joshua had to do over and over again in this book. It happened. It already, see, that already happened at Kadesh Barnea. They sent the spies in. They came back. Should we go in or shouldn't we? That was their prophetic moment to possess the land. And the ten said, we better not. There's giants. It's bad news. There's armies, walled cities. We'll never make it. See, committees are dangerous. I'm kidding. <laughs> and the majority's not always right. Let me say this last thing. I'm going to give you a testimony. Walking in miracles doesn't mean necessarily you're walking with God. Oops. Does that fit your theology? Well, let's look at Israel. Every day they had miracles. Manna from heaven. Their shoes didn't wear out. God... God supernaturally manifested miracle after miracle, yet they were not walking with God. They were not going on their prophetic walk. They wouldn't go in. Forty years of miracles, and then God says, okay, it's time to go. They go, no, no, no. We'd rather stay in our, the social services program of Israel right now. I got everything supplied. Be a fool. Said, so, no, we're not going to go. They missed their moment. That was a prophetic moment. Just because you're, you're seeing and walking in miracles doesn't mean you're moving forward with God. I had a prophetic moment in my ministry, and uh, I was I'm trying to remember what year this was. 
1986, just a few years ago. I was young and didn't, I didn't know anything. But anyway, um, I'd been on pastoral teams by now. I was learning, growing. I had this huge hunger to get my theological degrees now. I uh, had been doing some prophetic ministry, learning. I was in the learning stage of prophetic ministry. My heart was crying out for a mentor. And I really said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm a Timothy and I need a Paul. Those are my exact words. Through an amazing prophetic event where a conference I wanted to go to, and I was living in Florida at the time, all the way out in Portland, Oregon, literally about almost as far as you can go, stretch the USA. There was a friend of mine in the church that uh, heard about that, and he says, come on, I'll, I'll pay your way. Let's go to the conference. I was like, yes, because there was a guy out there that was in Tampa, Florida. I was in Orlando, Florida, but he was one of the main speakers of this conference. He was part of this whole stream, and he was a strong prophet, a biblical scholar. He had eight theological degrees. He was a master musician and a tremendous prophet. And I, it's like, this, is, this guy fits, you know. So I went to the conference, and I supernaturally met he and his wife, um, the, the night of registration, I can just go on about these prophetic moments. God just lined them all up. I mean, I walked into register and his wife was working registration. She goes, you're from Orlando? I said, yeah, I'm from Tampa. She's like, yeah. Boom. And I said, I would love to meet your husband sometime. She goes, oh, I'll introduce you tonight. Boom. So all these things started to line up. So I met this, this guy and uh, at, the, at the end of the conference, all he said was, this, well, when you get back to Tampa, why don't you, or get back to Orlando, why don't you drive over and, and visit me sometime? It's kind of like, there's my chance. See, that was an opportunity. And I didn't know what I was going to do. I, was, I had helped plant this church, and literally God said, I want you to go help this brother plant this church. So we moved to Orlando, helped plant a church, and literally almost nine months to the day, it's like, we, I remember we were both sitting and looking at each other in his office, and he goes, what are you supposed to be doing? And I said, I have no idea. Like, I didn't, I didn't have any more vision for my future at that church, and he didn't either. He's like, well, maybe we should start a Bible college. Maybe we should start. So that's why I wanted to meet this, this, uh, this other brother, that maybe he could help us get a Bible college. I didn't know, but deep in my heart, I said, I want that guy. I want, to, I want to get aligned with him. I need a mentor. That was deep in my heart. So I drove over to Tampa, and I met with this guy. And he never told me this. I got to tell you, this is really funny. He never told me this till after. I ended up going there. But I went into his office. One of the first things I said is I sat down and said, you know, I'm a Timothy looking for a Paul. And he never broke emotion. He didn't do anything. He, just, he didn't flinch. He just stared at me. Come to find out later... This was in June of 1986. In March of 1986, three months earlier, they'd had a prophetic gathering. They had prophets in. And one of the prophets said to this brother, he says, I'm going to be sending Timothys in here to this house. That was three months earlier. And I show up and go, I'm a Timothy looking for a Paul. Why didn't he say something? He was coy. He just said, let's see where this is going to play. So anyway, I said that. And then I just shared. I said, I'm at a crossroads in ministry. I just need, I said, I got a prophetic call. Blah, 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 blah. I spilled my guts all over and was like, and he says, well, I don't have anything to offer you in ministry. And we're walking out. You know, after, after half an hour of all this, we're walking out. He gave me a tour, actually, of the, of the place. They had a Christian school, K through 12, had a Bible college going. And uh, we're walking out to my car and he goes, I really don't have anything to offer you in ministry. But, you know, we need a high school teacher in our Christian school that starts in August. Would you be interested in that? And my heart <sighs> sank. I was like, a teacher in in your high school, I've got to call to the ministry. I need training. Ah. I was like, that was the last thing on my screen. I just kind of like politely said, ah, oh, I'll pray about it. <laughs> nope. Like my heart sank. I was like, oh no. And I was, I was, I was discouraged. I felt weak. I got in the car. It was before cell phones. So I just had to talk to God all the way back. <laughs> it's good to turn your cell phone off every now and then. 
So I'm driving back thinking, number one, what am I going to tell my wife? You know, what, I'm, what am I going to say? Huh? And I'm just moaning and groaning and grumbling and griping all the way back from Tampa to Orlando and had that prophetic moment right in the car where God just said, shh. Yeah, it went silent like that. And I heard him say so clearly, if you'll take that job, I'll open doors for you. That's all he said. Hmm. Prophetic challenge. Prophetic moment. Will you or won't you? You're going to go in or not? And something in me, see, creation of faith. I didn't have faith for the job because I was too busy grumbling about it. When God spoke to me, faith rose. I was like, I can do that. Because he put the little proviso, I'll open doors for you. And I love it when God says that. I said, man, you can open doors, no man can shut. So I like the door thing. Not happy, crazy about the teaching, Lord, but I love the door thing. So I took it. Got home, shared it with my wife. Darn, if she just didn't say right away, oh, yeah, I think you should take it. I was like, ah, I just agonized for an hour, and you were just like, oh, we should do it. I said, how did you get that faith? I had to wrestle with God for an hour in the car, but we did. Two months later, we moved to Tampa. I start teaching school, and the ball just kept moving fast. The doors started opening. I, I, within a few months, I'm leading worship. Within the next year, I'm on the eldership team. Uh, by the next summer, I take my first international trip with Dr. Blomgren to, the, to, to, to England, and I've been going to England two or three times a year ever since then. I mean, God just opened door after door after door. We ended up planning a church out of that church. And then, I mean, the prophetic moment was so powerful to me because God spoke. If you'll take that job, I'll open doors for you. It's so important that we are poised to hear that still, small voice and then act on it because that's what God wants. I believe there's going to be some prophetic moments, Willie, in the next number of months as you guys are on your prophetic walk to possess your land. And I believe you're going to possess it and possess it well. Will you have resistance? Probably. Can you subdue kings? Absolutely. You can put your foot on their necks because God said he's going to be with you everywhere the sole of your foot treads. He'll be with you. You've just got to make a decision. We are going to go with God. Amen? Arise, Cornerstone Church, and go over this Jordan, okay? Because you will make your way prosperous and you'll have good success. I'm so excited for you. I think there's going to be great things. Let's pray together. Father, we are thrilled at the Word of God. We are, we are encouraged by faith today, Lord. Lord, I thank you for a prophetic people. This church is a prophetic church. They're prophetic people. They, they long to hear the voice of God and are willing to do what God says in spite of natural impossibilities. And it's almost like we say, Lord, let them come because you're greater. It's like, Lord, you're building a testimony right here. And Lord, we do claim the land. It is ours. Lord, it is the inheritance of this church to possess land in this city, to build a building, to gather saints and to go and save the lost. It is our privilege, Lord, to join you in power sharing for the Great Commission. So, Lord, let, let every heart be encouraged this morning. Fathers, you told Joshua, may this book of the law never depart out of their mouths, but may they be meditating saints of God, meditating day and night that they can observe to do according to all this written in it. And Lord, you promised that they would make their way prosperous and they would have good success. Amen? Now, who's, who's leading the youth? Willie, you told me, what's his name? David, are you here? Is that your wife? Come up here for a minute. I just want to bring just something prophetic over the church, but I want to do it with the youth leader because 
as I, during worship, seeking the Lord and worshiping, just felt something stir in me about youth for this house. So I'm just going to, I'm going to get down and get my hands on you guys and just prophesy this. So David and Terry. Terry, Father, we thank you that you're stirring new things, new prophetic opportunities in this house. And uh, I'll tell you what, brother, I, I saw something last night at Willie's house when we had a group of uh, young disciples there, that there is truly a Joshua spirit upon this church now. There, there is a Joshua generation poised and ready to go. And there is a reaping of souls coming to the youth around this, this area. And brother, I really believe that God says it's going to be harvest time for young people. There is going to be a thrust from the Spirit of God and a push uh, upon this next younger generation. And there's going to be a strong outreach into the city for the youth. And God says, get ready. God says, make plans. God says, I am going to stir the youth in this area and I am going to open up storehouses for them to rush into. And this new facility is going to be one of those storehouses. Uh, there is going to be energetic youth outreach and ministry. There's going to be some events that are going to take place off your campus and, and into other places. There's even going to be um, divine doors and prophetic moments where God's going to open up situations with schools and school-affiliated programs and even facilities that you're going to be involved in to bring the presence of God into situations. I see you even prayer walking and doing prayer walks and doing spiritual warfare uh, before and after events where young people gather. And there is a, a, just a sense of gathering them for harvest. So, Father, I pray for David and his wife. I pray for, their, for even their up-and-coming leaders. Lord, I pray for vision. Brother, there's, there's some fresh vision coming to you. And I think, I think you're a little bit discouraged with the old ways. I think you've even looked at the, the, the ways of the past and said, well, that didn't work and that didn't work and this doesn't work anymore. We've got to throw this out. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like looking at an old computer from 10 years ago and going, man, who could ever even conceive of using this computer now when there's so much now in God's technology available? You're saying, I need fresh insight to reach these young kids. And I see a council of young kids. I say that carefully. They're just going to be, you're going to just go and kind of get in their heads, as we say, and kind of pull out some crazy ideas that they are just absolutely head over heels about. They're going to go, you know, we love this and we love it when this happens. You go, really? You like that? Yes, we can do that then. We can reproduce that. We can make that happen. Let's go make it happen. As a brother, there's, there's a real um, administrative, and I, I say this, understand the way I'm saying this, an apostolic anointing on you, which just means a releasing mechanism in you for young men particularly, to apostolically say, this is where you got to go, now go and do it. That's what apostles do. They, they point someone to a place of destination and send. So there's going to be a sending release in you, not only to gather young people, but to release them. I even sense there's going to be a, this is for the house too, a, a, a new, stronger thrust into the mission field in the next few years. And I, I really sense that, that some youth are going to do some dynamic missions work. There's going to be a couple other new uh, nations that God's going to open up for you as a church to really reach into. And so we, we just thank you, Lord, that you're, you're thrusting in the sickle through these, your faithful ones. Lord, we decree over the youth and we declare that, Father, you're going to bring a harvest of young people into this house, into the Cornerstone Church and in surrounding churches, Lord. Let there be a, a mighty shaking and moving of young people. And, Lord, we're not going to put you in a box. We're not going to demand you to do it a certain way. In fact, God... You must speak to us what you're requiring of us. We need to lay down and throw overboard all our old mentalities and say, God, bring us what 
the fresh requirement is over this city. We'll seek you, we'll believe you, and then we'll go and do it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. God bless you. It's been great to be with you. I can't wait to see what happens in the days ahead. I just loved it this morning when you all stood up and clapped. It's called, How, How Do You Actually Torture Willie Taylor? He was squirming. He was, had his head down. He was like, but he was loving it. He was loving it. I turned to him. I said, these people really love you. I love you guys too. So God bless you. Great days ahead. Amen. You're on your prophetic walk. Don't stop.